You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So why this psalm on this Sunday? Two reasons. This psalm, Psalm 126, is all about joy. Uh, Joy or gladness is mentioned four times in six verses. And because this Sunday is Easter, of course, it makes sense that we talk about joy. Uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus is reigning at the Father's right hand. Jesus is coming again. It is a good thing for us to talk about joy on Easter. And this psalm does that. And also, number two, This psalm is a lament coming from a place of grief. And although this Sunday is Easter, it's still Easter in this world and joy in this world is complicated. You probably know earlier this morning in Sri Lanka, over 200 now dead because of six bombings. Over 500 they're saying now injured. Six bombings, three churches, three hotels. Joy, joy in this world is complicated. Just like joy is complicated in Psalm 126. And so that's what I want us to look at together, okay? And so right away, there are three things about joy that we see here in Psalm 126. Three things, really simply, we see, number one, joy remembered. Number two, we see joy lost. And then number three, we see joy hoped. Joy remembered, joy lost, and joy hoped. And the plan for the sermon is simply just to walk through each of these three things in Psalm 126. And the first two are going to be quick, and then we're going to settle in and spend most of our time on this third piece here, joy hoped. And before I pray and before we we begin, um, I just want you to know, that I believe with all my heart that God speaks through his word. And I believe that you are here this morning because God wants you here. All right, let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. You have brought us here to this moment, and in your sovereign grace, you must do what only you can. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first I want to talk to you here about joy remembered, which is in verses 1 to 3. The psalm begins, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And the first thing we see here is that the psalmist is talking about something in the past. The psalmist says restored in the past tense, which means the psalmist is referring to a time behind the moment he's writing this, okay? He's referring to um, a time in Israel's history around 538 BC when the Jewish people who were exiled in Babylon were allowed to return to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been laid under siege and completely decimated. Solomon's temple had been completely destroyed, and now after 70 years of being held captive in 
a foreign land, the people of God were allowed to return to their promised land. And it was an unforgettable event in their history. Back then, in that time, the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And that phrase there, restored the fortunes, that phrase is the same phrase that we see at the end of the book of Job. All right. After everything that Job had been through, after all that Job had suffered, in Job chapter 42, verse 10, we read, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, which means God's face was once again shining on Job. God had 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 restored his blessing on Job's life. And the psalmist is here saying the same thing happened for Israel. God restored their fortunes. They had returned to Jerusalem. They were free again, and they were happy. In fact, it was like a dream to them. Their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongues with shouts of joy. Verse 2, God's goodness to Israel was so obvious that the nations around them could not help but notice. All of these people got to go back home. And so the nation said, the Lord has done great things for them. And indeed, the psalmist says, as he remembers that time, he says, the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done Great thanks for us. It is a wonderful gift to be able to remember God doing great things. My guess is that we all can do something like that, right? Or, or at least we can all remember moments in our lives that were full of joy, okay? We call these things good memories, right? And we all have good memories. It is a human thing. And it's amazing how they work. There are, think about this, there are things in your life, maybe a place you went, uh, maybe people you were with, maybe it was something you accomplished, but there are things in your life. And when you think back to those things, it is a good memory. It causes good thoughts. It causes good feelings. And we, we even have a word for this phenomenon. It's called nostalgia. We think back like a dream. It's an amazing thing in the human experience. We have these good memories that have such a magnetic pull on our emotions that it makes us want to go backwards. It makes us want to go back to those good memories as if we were dreaming. And it's always in scenes, okay? You've got to clarify this. It's always moments that we remember as part of these good memories. For example... I do not want to be 13 years old all over again, right? But I have memories of playing wiffle ball with my younger brother that are worth a trillion dollars to me. And I say, I thought about trillion. I mean trillion, right? I don't, this, I don't want to go back to the first month of my marriage, but... It's called a honeymoon on purpose. Like it is this very, very happy, especially happy, limited window of time. It is a scene of joy. We all have these scenes of joy. We all have these scenes of joy in our past that have made an imprint on our lives. We remember joy and it makes us long for more joy, right? That's what's happening. That's what's going on here in Psalm 126. 
It's joy remembered, but then also we see number two, it is joy lost. And we see this in verse four. It's implied in verse four because the psalmist goes from remembering joy in the past to asking for joy again. Notice that change there in verse four. The psalmist has been talking about when God restored the fortunes of Zion. And here he says in verse four, restore our fortunes, O Lord. So God, like you did that one time before, God, like you did back then, do it again. That's what he's saying. And that's part of good memories, right? Part of remembering joy is the obvious recognition that the joy is no longer active. The fact that you remember joy means that the joy is lost. We don't remember joy in the moment of joy. We remember joy when the joy has waned. That's, that's Psalm 126. So historically, after the Jewish people returned to Jerusalem, they laughed together and they sang together and they rejoiced together until they figured out that this return to Jerusalem was not the full restoration they anticipated. There was still sin in the camp. There were still enemies who threatened them. The people collectively were still out of touch with God. So they remembered joy because they lost joy. They lost joy. And that's what leads then to joy hoped. This is the third point. Joy hoped. And we see joy hoped in verses four to six. This represents a significant change for the psalmist. This psalm is a lament. And so it makes sense that the psalmist is expressing the grief of joy lost. And he could just stay there a little longer. Some psalms do. There are some psalmists who seem to plumb the depths of their sorrow. For example, in Psalm 88, that psalm ends. The very last verse of Psalm 88 is, darkness has become my only companion. The Bible is not afraid to speak honestly and incompletely about pain. But here in Psalm 126, in just six verses, we see a comprehensive prayer because this lament of joy turns into the hope of joy found. The lament of joy gone, the lament of joy lost becomes joy hoped for. And that's the point. This is the part of the psalm that I, I, I really want us to see together because I think this is a vision for how we should think about our lives. It has to do with how the details of our hope are rooted in the work of God and the ways of God, okay? There is a truth here about God's work and God's ways that shapes our hope for joy. And I want to go ahead and just tell it to you in a, a little sentence, all right? I'm just going to put it in a little sentence for you. And I, what I'm about to say, I want you to know, I've thought a lot about it. And I think, I think this sentence pretty much organizes the meaning of the Christian life, all right? 
I, I, I think this is how we should think about the Christian life in a, in a sentence. Here it is. God is the God of resurrection power who calls us to the way of the cross. God is the God of resurrection power. That is the work of God. And he calls us to the way of the cross. That is the the ways of God. And we see that here in Psalm 126, in first the petition, and then in the paradigm, all right? The petition, and then the paradigm. The petition is in verse four. Look at verse four. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, we don't know what that means unless we know what the Negev is, right? This is a word that we see all throughout the Old Testament. The root word for Negev means to be dry or parched. It's the name that is given to the the southern part of Israel, and it's the name that they still use today, all right? The southern part of Israel is called the Negev because it's a desert. The Negev is dry ground. It is the kind of ground that you can imagine when you imagine a desert, all right? It is is bleached, yellow, dry dirt, and it has cracks everywhere. You actually see that, right? It's a desert. And that's what makes this petition stand out. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Streams in the Negev. You mean streams in a desert? What the psalmist is saying is he's saying, God, restore us in a way that makes the desert turn green and brown and blue. God, restore us in a way that makes the dry ground lush with life and flowing with water. God, restore us in a way, restore us with a downpour of rain that saturates this hard, dry soil and causes things to grow. The prayer in verse four, the petition in verse four is for instant Dramatic, powerful intervention. God make rivers in the desert. That's what he's saying. God make rivers in the desert. And and the psalmist is asking God to do this because he knows that God is able. This is the God of resurrection power. This is the God who, as Romans 4, 17 says, can call into existence things that do not exist. This is the work of God. God does this. The psalmist knows it. And so he's asking God for it. God, 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 make rivers in the desert. That's the petition in verse four. But now notice the paradigm in verse five. Verse five, down to six. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, what does that mean? We go 
from dramatic intervention in verse four to a grueling process in verse five. Do you guys see that? Do you guys see the shift there? Sowing the, the seas of tears is not a positive image. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen a farmer plant a field before, but I think you can probably imagine how it goes, all right? The, in reality, I think the objective of farming has, has pretty much been the same. The, the goal is to get this thing going, you have to get the seed into the ground, right? That's the objective here. And before there was the technology we have today, the farmer planted his field thousands of years ago by covering every square inch of his field by hand, right? And he planted the seed. It was a grueling process. At our house, we, we have some grass issues in our front yard, okay? Every year we do. And I would really love to have very green grass in my front yard. I would. And so a couple of days ago, I'm trying to get ahead of the good weather here. I'm trying to get a head start this year. And so um, I have a few bare spots. And um, I went and bought a bag of grass seed. And after raking the ground and loosening it up, I took the bag and by just handfuls was grabbing the grass seed and I was planting it in the dirt. It was just a little section, like three little sections, okay, in our yard. And as I was doing that, I thought, you know, as I'm just, what if I had a whole field that I had to sow? And what if my life depended upon it? We can imagine what this would have been like. You wake up early, you start here, and one step at a time, step, sow, step, sow, step, sow, step, sow. And you wonder, is this ever going to end? Will I ever get all of this planted? And when I do, will it even grow? That kind of stepping and sowing and, and not immediately seeing what you want is like weeping. The seed on the ground is like our tears. This is a grueling process. The whole process is anguish. Sowing the seed of tears, the whole process is anguish, and yet the psalmist knows that's the way it goes. That's the paradigm. That's the way it goes. It's he who sows in tears. Those who sow in tears, those who go through the grueling process, they are the ones who reap with shouts of joy. And this makes no sense until we look to Jesus. Wasn't the whole life of Jesus a sowing in tears? 
born in a manger because there was no room in the inn, sowing in tears, confronted in his weakness by Satan and tempted in every way yet faithful, sowing in tears, healing the sick but accused of transgression, sowing in tears, befriending the marginal but assumed a drunkard, sowing in tears, casting out demons and being forced to exile, sowing in tears, teaching the truth about God, but called a blasphemer, sowing in tears, pleading with his father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And swept drops of blood fell to the ground. He was betrayed by one disciple. He was denied by his closest disciple. He was abandoned by all the other disciples, mocked, slandered, condemned, a crown of thorns shoved into his brow, sowing with tears led to Golgotha and hung on a cross dying with criminals reviled and mocked again the wrath of God upon him sowing in tears wasn't the whole life of Jesus a sowing in tears? And isn't that the way of God? Jesus is God become man to show us the way and the way is hard. The way is a cross. And how did he do it? Hebrews 12 verse 2 says that Jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How? How did Jesus hope for joy in the way of the cross? It's because in God's way, he knew. God's work. Jesus sowed his tears in hope because he knew what the psalmist knew in Psalm 126, and it's that we have a God who can send rain. It's that we have a God who makes rivers in the desert. It's that we have a God who gives life to the dead. And so the whole life of Jesus then is a sowing. Last Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem sowing. He was conspired against on Wednesday sowing. He was betrayed on Thursday, sowing. He was crucified on Friday, sowing. And then he was dead, and then it was over. He was finished. His body was wrapped. The tomb was sealed. All his tears had been sown. But Sunday morning came the reaping. Sunday morning 
came the shouts of joy. He is not here, the angel said, for he is risen. He is risen indeed. Right now, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen and reigning. He is highly exalted. And the name above every name has been given to him. Jesus Christ is Lord and he will be worshiped. Jesus will reap his shouts of joy. He will He will reap his shouts of joy this morning in our worship and he will reap his shouts of joy for all eternity when the redeemed from every tribe and tongue and people and nation gather around his throne and they sing together to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever. Look, know this right now, people, look, he will reap his joy. He will reap with shouts of joy. That is what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The God of resurrection power calls us to the way of the cross. This is the vision for the Christian life because that is the life of Christ. And this is what it means for you, okay? It means that right now, whatever you're going through, however small your hope, however far away from God you feel, you are never too far. Your ground is never too dry. You are never beyond the work of God because he is the God of resurrection power. And he can save you. God will save you through the way of the cross of Jesus. Through the cross of Jesus, through the suffering of Jesus, you can be saved. By his wounds, you can be healed. Jesus became the curse for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took God's wrath in our place, and he did it all by grace. It's because of his great love for us. It's because of his rich mercy. You cannot add to this. Jesus does not meet you the halfway here. It's all the way or it's no way. And right now, I want you to know, Jesus will save you right now. Right now. I I invite you right now. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe him right now, the God of resurrection power. Right now, the God of resurrection power calls you to the way of the cross. He calls you to faith in Jesus. And so would you believe him right now? Right now, you can resolve in your heart, my hope is the cross of Christ. Right now, resolve that in your heart. My hope is the cross of Christ. And you know, brothers and sisters, that this is our story. The apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Our union to the joy of Jesus also means our union to the sowing of Jesus. And it can feel like there's a lot of sowing 
in this world. Jesus has reaped his joy, and we will reap his joy with him. And yet the reaping is this, is this already and not yet kind of reaping. That's why it's, it's joy hoped for. This morning, as we gather in worship, we do indeed reap with shouts of joy. The Lord is risen from the dead. And because he is, we also hope in a future day when we will reap still more, more joy, more joy with Jesus. We will reap still more. And if that is your hope, I invite you to this table. At this table together, we remember and give thanks to Jesus for his cross. At this table, as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, we are reaping with shouts of joy. And we are hoping in more joy to come. And if you would do that, if that is your hope this morning, I would love for you to eat and to drink with us. We're going to serve the bread first and then we'll eat it all together. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.